Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So why don't we start with Carson Wentz? I want to get one thing out of the way as it relates to Wentz and be very clear about this. The one thing to be clear about when it comes to Carson Wentz and that trade, the Colts hated this guy. Hated. Now, I know hate is a really strong word, but based on the reporting coming out of Indy, they hated this guy. Like, they despised the guy. They loathed him. They detested him, and they could not wait to get rid of him. Yesterday's trade with Washington was not about what they could get for Carson Wentz. It was purely about getting rid of Carson Wentz. It's not about getting rid of his production. It's about getting rid of his personality and his character, or lack thereof. I mean, it was pretty clear from how GM Chris Bauer talked about him after the season was over that they were going to do something. But come to find out, that was only the tip of the iceberg, and that was just scratching the surface. I mean, you tell me, what's more damning, that the Colts traded him without having a big name ready to replace him, or really any name at all, or that Wentz is now going to play for his third team in three years? Of those two things, what's more damning? The answer is yes. And remember, statistically, he was not that bad. In fact, he was not terrible at all. 27 touchdowns and seven picks. Normally, that does not get you run the hell out of town. I mean, sure, stats can be misleading. But if you have a guy that goes 27 and seven, and the first thing you did when the season ended was hang a sign around his neck that says, if you can haul him, you can have him, then you hate him. That says that you think that that's a guy who makes everything worse and nothing better. That says, I don't care what it costs, and I don't care what we get in return. Get him the hell out of this building. I don't ever want to see his face ever again. Work with him. They all sound like they want to fight him. His own coach pushed for him, and they gave up a first-round pick to get him. So they don't have that pick in what's already a thin quarterback draft class in order to replace him. And then on top of that, there are already limited options in the free agent market. And again, no replacement in place. No plan B really at all. And they still could not wait to kick this dude to the curb. It's actually incredible. It's amazing. Carson Wentz getting traded to and from Indy in less than one year is way more impressive than him nearly winning the MVP award with Philadelphia. It's actually way more impressive than almost anything anywhere. And even better, why do I get the sense that Wentz himself probably doesn't even get it? Probably still does not understand why they hate him so much. Probably isn't owning any of this. Why would he? It's not like he learned anything from the Eagles running his ass out of town either. Referencing the sources in the organization, the Athletic reports, quote, As for the Colts, the issues with Wentz stretch back to before the season began, one source said. And over the course of the year, some grew frustrated at what they deemed a lack of leadership, a resistance to hard coaching, and a reckless style of play, which had a role in several close losses this year. End of quote. I mean, where do you even start with that, right? Check that clause. Quote, the issues with Wentz stretch back to before the season began. End quote. In other words, like, this guy shows up and just starts pissing people off. Like, they make it sound as if the second he walked through that door, he was already on the wrong side of folks. On the wrong side of people who knew him, people who wanted him, people who put their necks out for him, people who were staking their reputation and their jobs on this guy. And before he had even taken a snap, he reportedly was pissing those same people off. Now that's special. That takes a different breed of cat to pull something like that off, especially given that the only reason you were there was because you had already burned a bridge with another franchise before. So going to Indy and reuniting with his old offensive coordinator, 
all of that was supposed to be a fresh, clean start. This was supposed to be where he got back to being the old Carson Wentz. Instead, according to reports, he learned nothing at all in Philly. And he shows up and he immediately starts pissing off his new team too. This guy was supposed to show up in Indy, hit the reset button on his career, put his head down, grind out, and get his career back on track. And instead, within months of arriving, they were already sick of him. And within a year, he's already gone. I mean, how do you explain that? How clueless is this dude? How do you show up in that situation and not work your ass off? But again, not only did he reportedly not do that, he didn't want to be coached hard either. And he showed a lack of leadership. And of course, he played recklessly and was at his worst when it mattered the most. Jamarcus Russell cannot believe Wentz's act. And the Raiders allegedly bribed Russell with cheeseburgers to get him to watch film. Jamarcus Russell. In other words, Wentz is pretty much the same as he was at the end in Philadelphia. And actually worse, because he didn't learn from what happened in Philadelphia. He just repeated it. Two straight teams, places where they wanted to like him, end up giving up on him because of his attitude. Like in a league where teams are desperate for quarterbacks, this quarterback is now on his third team in three years. Do you know how hard it is to do that? Do you know how lousy... Your attitude must be for that to happen. Hey, remember when team owner Jim Irsay did that Twitter video next to his jet a few days before the loss, or I should say after the loss to Jacksonville? Do you remember that vid? Do you remember what the owner said in that vid? We have allowed, and I have allowed, doubt, fear, and a lack of faith slip into our DNA, and it will not stand. Every walking step in this offseason is committed to getting the horseshoe back to where it should be. I don't know what I like better about that. I mean, the content. What a great quote that is. What a great quote that is. Or the fact that he said it while standing next to his jet. Or the fact that he said it while that private jet was purring. Like, fire that thing up. He then chased that a few days later. With this in an interview, quote, we want more warriors. That's what it's about. I don't shy away from the fact that I'm in this to win, end of quote. Yeah, I'm guessing that what that was about was Wentz. I'm guessing he didn't think that Wentz was a warrior. I'm guessing that he thinks that Wentz brought doubt and fear into their DNA and that he was not committed to winning, and that's why they broke him off. I'm like, those are literally... Like the worst things that you could say about a player in the NFL, but especially about your quarterback. And the owner is saying them publicly. No, he did not mention Wentz by name, but he didn't have to. What they're also saying with this move is, if we had played anybody not named Carson Wentz, we would have been in the playoffs. So get this guy the hell out of here and do it stat. Which brings me to Washington the hell are they doing bringing this guy in the hell are they doing going after a guy that both philly and indy gave up on why is it going to work better in dc this guy's left a path of destruction and bad feelings everywhere he's been lately but they're gonna get it right they know something that philly didn't know they know something that frank reich didn't know they know something that indy didn't know they know something the others don't They can get more out of this guy than Frank Reich, who knew him best. Yet doubt that. If I'm Taylor Heineke, I am so fired up right now. Remember he told me on Radio Row that he was preparing for a quarterback battle? And now he knows that battle is with Wentz? How hyped is that guy? It looked like he might have to do battle with Russell Wilson. And now he finds out all he has to do is beat out Jamarcus Wentz. This guy's got to be like, bleep, yeah. Let's do this. Hell Jamarcus Russell. Heineke can win that battle. And even if he doesn't, he knows it's only a matter of time before Wentz acts like a tool, screws up as a player and a leader, and then Heineke, who the guys love, is right back in there. So good luck, Washington. You're going to need it. I'd wish Wentz good luck, but he's either too dumb or too arrogant to take it.
Oh, one side note about Ursa and his jet. About Ursa doing that Twitter vid next to his plane. If I owned a plane, if I owned a jet, I would do all my videos and pressers. I'd make every comment that I make publicly next to my jet. I'd be like, hey, yo. Hey, gas up the plane. Get her ready. Um, okay, Mr. Ursay. I didn't know we were going anywhere. We're not. I need to post another story on Instagram. Get me to the hangar. Fired up. You know, I keep a private jet. And I keeps a private phone. And I speak directly into that phone. And I turn it around on me. And then I post from that phone. That's why it keeps a private jet. Hey, you sir, are we going to go anywhere in that jet? No. We're not going anywhere, man. You have any idea what jet fuel costs? The jet's not to fly around in. The jet is to roll out of the hangar so I can post my stories. Do you have any idea what jet fuel costs? That thing's never going to be wheels up ever again. I'm just going to post standing outside of it, and I'm going to post on the inside of it too. We're just not going anywhere in it. Yeah, and if you're like, damn, Rome, that was harsh. Damn, Rome, that was an awful lot of real estate for Carson Wentz. Right. Like, I literally cannot believe that this guy played his way out of Indy in one year, given what they gave up to get him, and the fact that they've got nothing to replace him with, and they still couldn't wait to get rid of him. That's a crazy story. Amazing, really. Especially given how things ended in Philly. But then again, I just told you that. As far as Taylor Heineke goes, what I mentioned was he did tell me on Radio Row, I need to ready myself for battle. Now, this guy is absolutely fearless. So even if it was Russ that was coming in that he had to go to battle with, he would have given everything he had to win that battle. But how pumped is he that all he has to do now is battle Wentz? He and I had this conversation on the row. I'm preparing for another quarterback battle, and it's it's nothing new in my career. It's been like that since high school. So, um, you know, I, I welcome it. It makes me better, uh, and I, I think it makes the guy I'm competing with better. So, um, you know, I'm prepared for it, and, um, you know, again, you know, whatever happens, happens, but I just want to be there. The only thing missing from that was, oh, one more thing, Rome. That competition makes me better, and it makes the guy that I'm competing with better, and Rome... I can't wait to go to battle with Jamarcus Wentz. Jamarcus Russell. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? Mike in Fresno. Good to have you. Mike, how are you? Bro, I'm so grateful for the vine. I hope I'm able to get this out. They're not going to miss Carson Wentz. They needed to get get him as far away from the AFC as possible because the AFC is stacked. The problem with football right now, Jim, is trying to find that guy that's got heart because you can't measure it. was probably available and expensive because he walked into Green Bay and walked out of there out of the blizzard with a win. Of course Rodgers is going to stay in Green Bay. He's in the NFC. And it's, get him a case of Trico wiper blades while he's out there because he's not going anywhere. And it's no wonder Tyler Murray's pushing all his chips into the table. Nobody wants anything to do with the AFC. I'm team content too, Jim. I ain't got a team. But those gunslingers in the AFC, look at the brass set on Elway to bring Wilson in knowing what's behind him, but he knows what he's getting. He's missed one time. He's been hurt once. Other than that, he's completely shown up. You can't measure heart, Jimmy. It's like the side hustle to the original side hustle with those Navy guys you're talking to and these business leadership guys. You can't measure that. They still can't figure out why some make it through buzz and some don't because you can't measure heart. I'll shut up with this, Romy. Did Cincinnati really get it right? 
or were they the first ones to get the interview burrow? And when they sat across from him, they looked at him and they knew he had it. God bless Fresno, Romy. I love the show. Never retire. Hell, get Rich wheelchair and wheel that thing up to the microphone. I'm out. Mike and Fresno, you see? I'll let you in. He had good energy. Sort of all over the map. Crazy energy, but good energy. I mean that in a good way. I mean that positively. And no, it was not John Elway. Elway's not calling those shots anymore, but who cares? Let's not let the facts get in the way of a good take. Let's go to Philly. J.D. J.D., what's going on? Tim, thanks for the vine. It is Christmas in Philadelphia. Not only do we now get two cracks at Carson Wimps, thanks to thanks to the lunacy of the Washington football team. Uh, tonight, we have already got, quote, playoff-level security at the Wells Fargo Center. A special fence has been put up to protect the Nets players from Philly fan. And if Brooklyn thinks that by having this guy show up not in uniform, that he is not going to set a decibel level for boos, hisses, and everything else for being an absolute quitter, they're smoking something. Every time that guy steps foot in the Wells Fargo Center, we are going to absolutely let him know what we think about quitters. You know, you could be a warrior like T.O. was in the Super Bowl against the Hood and, and smoke them on a broken leg and then go play for the Cowboys. That's fine. But we like people who are as passionate about the game as we are. And if you're going to be a punk, if you're going to be a quitter, then – you know, sayonara, sucker. And, you know, war, your you're side hustle to the side hustle. And for the de- degenerate 360, he needs to do a 360. I'm out. My man, J.D. in Philly. Rack him. That a boy, J.D. Rack him. That a boy, J.D. He actually needs to do a 180. But actually, you're right. Maybe he's got to go all the way around twice. Listen. The very best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. The same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It's commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then... Automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio. That keeps your investments close to where you want them. That way your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups needed. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Mike Singletary is my guest. Mike, it is great to have you on the program. Mike, how are you? How are you doing? Good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. In fact, why don't you bring me up? There's so much to bring me up to date. There's so much to talk about. What is your life like right about now? How are you doing? What's going on? Well, doing well. Um, you know, there are a few things that are, are happening right now. Very excited to um, really um, uh, excited about the show coming on uh, next week and premiering um, on Wednesday. Um, and it was a very exciting time to go to uh, Panama and be with the other contestants and and uh, really compete. Uh, that was uh, that was really cool and uh, frightening at the same time, but uh, probably the craziest thing I've ever done. But uh, really thankful I did it. Not sure if I'd do it again, but um, really enjoyed that time. Uh, other than that, I have a 501c3 change in our perspective. Um, and that's all about um, education, education, health, and mental wellness uh, in the uh, underserved, underprivileged areas in our country, uh, starting in Chicago and Houston. Uh, so very excited about those things. Um, uh, looking forward to the show starting and, and uh, just um, 
a great kickoff to a great year. Mike Singletary is joining us. All right, Mike, so let's talk about some of this. Given how fierce you are, I'm really interested in what you said about appearing on that program and that you're not sure you would do it again. What we're talking about here is beyond the edge. You went into the jungle of Panama to test yourself for two weeks. What was it about that that got you interested and excited and got you to want to take part? Well, I, I think it was there, there were two things that um, really uh, sparked my interest. Um, the first thing is is really um, being able to uh, kind of identify, um, re-engage myself in in the feeling of um, not being able to just get up and go to the refrigerator and and pull something out to eat, make a sandwich, not being able to just go lay down. Uh, getting out of my comfort zone. So uh, that was the first thing, you know, being able to go and and really engage myself and, and uh, kind of take myself back to when I was a kid, when, you know, things were hard and, and some of the necessities that, you know, every family needs, uh, I didn't always have as a kid. And uh, being able to experience that again, really feeling where, a lot of the families are, a lot of the people are that we're trying to serve. I, I really wanted to do that. And the other side of it was for every day you're there, when you compete, you last another day, that's more money that's going to the charity. So it was, uh, it was a win-win situation. Mike Singletary joining us. I like that so much, Mike. I like that notion of even you, even a Hall of Famer, even somebody as tough as you felt the need to, you had to once again re-engage yourself and get comfortable being uncomfortable. I'm curious, like once that experience was over, how long lasting was that? I mean, did, did that, did you bring that back to where you are right now? Do you still have that feeling? You know what? I'm always going to have that feeling. Um, you know, I, I guess when you grow up in that environment, you know, growing up in the ghettos of, of Houston, Texas, and um, realizing what it was like uh, not, you know, to come up short sometimes and paying the bills and my mom trying to figure out where she's going to get the money from or borrow the money from or whatever, uh, being a single mom. And uh, it, it was tough uh, having, having brothers, um, you know, in and out of jail at, at times. Um, having sisters, having babies out of wedlock. I mean, it was, uh, it was chaos sometimes in my home. And, um, and at the same time, uh, feeling alone. I know there are many times that my mom felt alone. Um, and uh, so being out there in the jungle brought a lot of those feelings back. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of like an aha moment. It's been a while. You know, people can talk about it. Uh, and sometimes... Um, even when we grew up that way, we can forget about it. But being able to go back and, and really reconnect with that, um, you know, it's an appreciation. It's kind of like a, uh, a kick in the seat of your pants to, to realize that, you know what, uh, even though I think I'm cognizant of uh, how thankful I am to be in this country, how thankful I am to have a great family, it wasn't always that way, and, and I had to work every day to try and make it that way. Mike Singletary is my guest. Mike, what I'm hearing is it sounds to me like this is way, way, way more than just an appearance on a TV show. Let me ask you one more thing about this. It's a new reality series. It's called Beyond the Edge. It's going to prepare, premiere next Wednesday night on CBS. When you talk about the competitive aspect of it, some of the others that participated would include Ray Lewis, Meta World Peace, and others. How competitive did it get, and then what were the relationships like within the group? Well, the really cool thing about it, uh, you know, first of all, first of all, it was extremely competitive. I mean, extremely competitive, um, as you will see and, and witness. Um, but uh, I, I think the nature of the show was really cool uh, because every day uh, you, you could be uh, teaming up with someone else. You know, it could be uh, two on two, it could be three on um, three on seven. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, we just mixed it up, and um, it, it was uh, you, you could never just look at somebody and go, "Okay, we're going to kick their tail," because that next day they're on your team. So it was really cool that way because we had a chance to kind of uh, just never really go to that place of I don't like them or they're they're cheating or whatever. Uh, but always being open-minded and, and willing to say, 
hey, man, you're on my team. What happened yesterday? We got to let that go. Today we're moving forward. I'm glad you're on our team. Let's go. Hmm. And uh, that was a great feeling because uh, every day was fresh. Every day was uh, exciting. And uh, every day was definitely really challenging. Yeah, and by the way, shouldn't we approach everything like that anyway, right? Mike Singletary joining us. So I'll look forward to that show, Mike. Really quickly, a few thoughts on football. When you look back on your career, you had an amazing career as a player. And the Bears Super Bowl team is still one of the most iconic teams of all time. When you think back to that team, that time, and that group, why do you think it's so iconic and resonates with so many fans so many years later? What was it about that group? I really think uh, if there was something for everybody. Uh, there, there was the uh, guys that were crazy. There were guys that were uh, very nice. There, there were guys that were humble, and there were guys that uh, would curse you out, <laughs> and uh, guys that were uh, just hard-headed and, and hard to deal with, bratty. Um, there were guys that were cool. So, I mean, it, it was a mixture of anything that you wanted, it was there. And then we did the dumbest thing we possibly ever could have done uh, was to make the Super Bowl shuffle. That could have backfired, and then we all looked like the dumbest team ever. But um, it really worked out because we, we really, at the, at the heart of it, uh, we we really loved each other and, and we played for each other. Mike, it's funny about the shuffle, right? I mean, you backed it up, so it all worked out. But Absolutely. Like, like now in 2022, when you look back on that right now, and easy to say now because it was such a different time and you were in the moment, as you watch that thing right now, what kind of thoughts do you have, the shuffle? You know, when I, when I watch it right now, um, knowing what went into it, uh, we lost that. We, we made that video the next day that we lost our only game that, that season to Miami. So uh, being the youngest team to ever go to the Super Bowl up to that time, uh, it really was a catalyst for us to uh, kind of springboard ourselves the next day. We went in there feeling awful from the night before losing that game, and it really made us refocus and say, hey, guys, you know what? No more foolishness. We got to go. We got to get ready to go. Now we're making a video. We don't want to look like idiots. Let's stay together. It's us against the world. Let's go get it. Talking to Mike Singletary for a few more moments. So, Mike, when you look back on your coaching career, what kind of thoughts do you have? For instance, would you do anything differently, and do you still want to coach? You know what? If if the right situation comes up, Jim, yes, I, I, I would coach. Uh, because to me, it, it's not so much just coaching. It's changing lives. Um, there are a lot of young men out there that, that want to be better players. They They want to... They want discipline. They, they want uh, to be mentored. They want, and, and um, I think that for someone like myself, uh, as well as some other guys out there, but for particularly someone like myself who's been through so much, uh, who's had those experiences, um, it makes a difference when you have a young man and you're sitting there and he's asking you, how do I become great? How do I do this? How do I do that? And to be able to tell him that, you know what, if you do this, this, and this, it's going to be okay. You can get where you need to go. Talking from experience makes all the difference in the world. Um, football is a great game, and it's, it's still one of the best games that, that you can take and really mentor someone and help them become all that they want to be. You know, having said that, like you're trying to shape minds and build character and mentor. Did you approach it like that in the NFL, or were guys generally not interested in that? What was your approach at that time as a coach? You know, I, I think that uh, a lot of people from the outside in, um, a lot of the young men are kind of like horses that, that uh, you're trying to put a saddle on. You know, they're going to kick you, they're going to fight you, they're going to buck you. But at the end of the day, a lot of that is just the rejection that they've gotten growing up, um, and no one was there for them. So you think, hey, I'm a man now, I don't need that. But after a while, they begin to realize there's a lot that I don't know. And if you have someone that's consistent, they're the same person every day, you can begin to, to trust and, and say, hey, you know what? Um, I want what they have. That's what I need in order for, for me to have the kind of career that I need to have and at the same time to be a great father and a great husband. So let me finally ask you this. You talked about, Mike, what it was like, the challenges you had growing up and how hard it was and how challenging it was. And you're talking about the way you approached it when you were a head coach and the kind of influence you wanted to have on young men. Like when you were coming up, who were some of the coaches that influenced you the most, that you respected the most? 
all the coaches that probably couldn't coach today. <laughs> I would say, you know, Vince Lombardi, um, of course, uh, Mike Ditka. Um, and I, I, I also, I, I love Buddy Ryan, uh, absolutely. Uh, but um, you, you take the, the tuna out in uh, New York. I, I think all of those, all of those men, um, when you talk to their players, the players that they coach, they left an imprint on. They 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 left something on those players. You know, Lombardi. You know, I, I uh, read some of his books, and it's amazing the impact that he has had. You know, many years later, um, and to me that that's what the game was really built for. And uh, it just so happened that you get a chance to win while you're doing it. Yeah, Mike, one final thought, because you and I haven't spoken, and I'm really enjoying the conversation so much. I wanted to ask you, when you answered the question about the 85 or the Bears that won the Super Bowl, you said the thing is there were so many different things about that team and so many different personalities. Some guys were tough. Some guys were funny. Some guys were cool. Some guys were nice. Some guys weren't. Where do you fit Walter Payton into all of that? What was he like as a guy and a teammate? Walter Payton was the ultimate um, uh, epitome of a class football player. When you when somebody asks you about the NFL and say, well, you know, who, who do I want to model after? Who do I want to be? You know what? Walter Payton is the guy. He's the guy that he uh, exemplified uh, a businessman. Uh, he did the best that he could as, as a family man, as a father, a uh, husband. Um, but he was uh, always, he worked so hard. No one worked harder than Walter. When we were at practice, he was the epitome of how you practice. He was the epitome of how you play the game. And when you have that kind of package as a coach, uh, it's, it's so helpful to say when a kid comes to you, you just say, hey, look at Walter. And when you look at him, and the closer you look at him, the closer you're going to get to the real thing. And uh, so that, that's really, Walter was really all of, all, of what is, all of what the NFL is really about and should be about. He is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He is a Super Bowl champion. He is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. And I want to remind you, he is appearing on a new reality series. It's called Beyond the Edge. It's going to premiere next Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific on CBS. He is Mike Singletary. Mike, it is so good to get caught up. Appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you. And it's great to talk to you, Mike. Thanks so much for that. Thank you. God bless. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Now, does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? If so, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all the entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It also means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. Because Jerry Jones is back in the news. And since we've already gotten into it, I think you already know that it's not about reworking contracts for Dak Prescott or Zach Martin. It's not about draft prep. It's not about him trying to circumcise a mosquito. Circumcising the mosquito. Not about him going off on Zeke, riding his horse, and spanking himself in the locker room. Spanking himself as he emulates riding the horse. Nope. It's not about any of that. This time it's about this headline from the Dallas Morning News. Quote, woman sues Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, says he is her father. Court documents say, end of headline, to which I say, oh And no clones, we cannot simply skip the report and go right to the taping of the Maury Show, and wait for Jerry Jones. You are the father. You say it's not your child. You are the father. No, that's not how we do things around here. I know that's how you want to do things around here, but that's not how we do things around here. No, what we do around here is we get the facts. Then we react. 
We don't read the headline and start hot-taking bleep. We don't read the headline, skip the story, and then go right to the Maury taping. We don't do that. Back to the report. The paper reports that, quote, according to court documents, Cynthia Davis was married but estranged from her husband when she met Jones. She was working as a ticket counter agent for American Airlines at the airport in Little Rock, court documents say. End of quote. To which I say, again, uh oh! Dude was hitting on the ticket counter agent at the Little Rock Airport. According to this report, is this dude the biggest dog ever? Wait, I know the answer. Yes. Hell yes. Hell yes. Allegedly. Listen, (laughs) does this story, if in fact it's true... If, in fact, it's true, would this surprise anybody anywhere at all? Like, I know this was a long time ago, mid-90s, before the advent of ticketless travel. So you had to actually physically go up to the ticket counter. But how long were you going to spend there? A couple of minutes, max? And during those few minutes... That rich old dude was looking to get nice, looking to get down, Everybody get down. looking to get his little rock on. Come on, man. Really? I mean, allegedly, reportedly, we're not even talking about a flight attendant who you might see for a few hours over the course of a flight. We're talking about a ticket counter agent. How nice can you get asking... Is the flight delayed? And for how long? Long enough, apparently, to father an illegitimate child. Allegedly. The paper also reports, quote, Jones pursued Cynthia Davis and the pair began a relationship according to court documents. It's unclear how long the relationship lasted. End of quote. Jerry Jones. Jerry Bones is more like it. Am I right? (laughs) If you're going up to speak with a ticket agent, you're supposed to be there to get into a window seat, not into somebody's pants. (laughs) Listen, I'll be very clear about this. These are all allegations I don't have any evidence. I don't have any proof that Jerry actually did have sex with a ticket counter agent in Little Rock, Arkansas. And even if a sexual relationship did occur, we don't know if that led to a birth of a child. In fact, Jones allegedly told the ticket agent he was unable to have children. And no, I don't know if he thought Or if he said it and then thought to himself, I can't have children, but you can. I don't know. (laughs) Just as I don't know if his son and Cowboys executive Steven saw that story and approached Jarrah and said, Pop, how many other brothers and sisters do I have that I don't know about? And whether or not Jarrah said, son, honestly, I have no idea. I don't know if any of this happened. I'm simply responding responsibly to a report. Maybe all of it is a big mistake. As an example, this daughter, this woman, if in fact she is a daughter, who was born in 1996, if it's true, hopefully she has received the love and support that she has needed over the years and continues to do so. And receive it. The daughter was born, if in fact it's a daughter to him. If it's true, she was born in December of 96. The Cowboys won their last Super Bowl in January of 96. So you know right around that time, Jerry was feeling pretty damn good about Jerry. But no wonder this dude has not won a Super Bowl since. He's been too busy 
hitting on gate agents and baggage clerks. Allegedly. Like Jim Irsay, for instance, is out there talking about allowing doubt, fear, and a lack of faith to slip into our DNA. Jerry's out here casually slipping his DNA into everything. Allegedly. This dude left 20% of himself on Bourbon Street. 20% of me has been left on Bourbon Street. (laughs) His words, not mine. He left the other 80% on that ticket counter in Little Rock. My words, not his. Allegedly. I mean, I'll tell you what. Say what you will about Jera and the Cowboys. But this crew is having a hell of an offseason, aren't they? Last month, ESPN reported that the team paid $2.4 million to resolve a lawsuit from four former cheerleaders. And in that incident, quote, Richard Dalrymple, the Cowboys' longtime senior VP for public relations and communications, standing behind a partial wall in their locker room with his iPhone extended toward them while they were changing their clothes, end quote. Dalrymple said, quote, He entered the cheerleader's locker room, not knowing the women were there, and left right away, a team source said. His account was contradicted by multiple sources described or describing the alleged incident to ESPN. ESPN also reported, quote, Dalrymple also was accused by a lifelong Cowboys fan of taking, quote, upskirt photos of Charlotte Jones Anderson, a team senior VP and the daughter of team owner Jerry Jones in the Cowboys' war room during the 2015 NFL Draft. End of quote. Dalrymple denied both allegations. But combining the allegation that a senior VP was peeping on cheerleaders while they changed alongside this lawsuit is not a good look, right? How about them, Cowboys? How about them, Cowboys? Keep in mind, it's only a report. These are just allegations. We don't know what's true and what's not. Now, I know telling you that's not going to stop you. I just don't need you comparing Jerry Jones to Antonio Cromartie or Evander Illegitifield. <laughs> Boy, that's a throwback. <laughs> Remember the old <laughs> Illegitifield gloss? Talk about 1996. 1996 is faxing this show. It wants its takes back. Illegitifield. That was a thing back in the day. Anyway, I don't know what Jerry Jones was or was not doing at ticket counters in Little Rock back in the 90s. And until I know more, I'm not going to comment any further. And neither should you. Oh, one more thought, though. Maybe while in that airport, Jerry saw the American Airlines slogan, You are why we fly. And he thought to himself, Come to the counter and open your fly. Man, 1996 was probably a banner year for Jera. Who knows how many of his seeds got spread after the Super Bowl? Allegedly. Ticket counter agents, cab drivers, grocery store cashiers, concierge services. Allegedly. Jerry could have been a sprinkler covering all of Texas, Arkansas, and New Mexico. Especially if he was going with that I can't have children line. I don't have a daughter myself, but if I did, my first piece of advice would be if a guy ever says to you, honey, he can't have kids, he's lying out his ass. How about them unwanted pregnancies? How about them, Cowboys? Allegedly. Never mind circumcising the mosquito. Circumcising the mosquito. You should be vasectoming the mosquito. Allegedly. How about them paternity suits? How about them? Illegitimate kids becoming legitimate adults and finding my ass. Allegedly. (laughs) How about them? Hush money.
Unbelievable. Hey, listen. This is a report. These are allegations. We don't know what's true and what's not. So I don't need any more. How about that DNA slippage? I'm just saying, I don't know what's true and what's not. I'm just saying, I'm not surprised by this. Is anybody? Is anybody surprised by that story? When that story hit the wire, was anybody at all? In no way. Not Jerry. No, you were probably thinking, yeah, that's probably true. And how many more are them? Are there like her? Allegedly. <sighs> anyway, what's popping, Twitter? 1996, Little Rock. Hey, like I said, there was not ticketless travel back then. But how much time could you have really spent at that walk-up ticket counter? Long enough to get nice, I guess, allegedly. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Jason Robertson, left wing for Dallas, joins us right now. Jason, good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you. So right now the team is in the middle of a battle for a playoff spot. You yourself are scoring a ton of goals. So how are you feeling right now at this juncture of the season? And what's the mood like in that room? Well, I mean, you know, personally, I think honestly the puck is going in for me right now. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where when you get hot, you're hot. But uh, as for the team, it's just these games are so crucial. And they're so these points are so critical that every game's kind of like that playoff atmosphere. So, um, the motion's super high right now for each game, and um, we're taking a great approach to it right now. Jason, you're right. The puck is going in the net for you quite a bit. In fact, you had a hat trick on Friday, and your third goal was the game winner in overtime. You've had some really nice moments in your young career, but how special was that goal in the middle of a playoff race to ice that game? Yeah, I mean, it was an important game against a division rival. Um, it was certainly special that it was, uh, you know, to get my first NHL hat trick. Uh, it was also my 100th game, too, so that was quite the milestone, but um, definitely to, to be able to do that and help the team get a big uh, two points in, in Winnipeg was, was uh, you know, really, really special. Jason Robertson joining us. I'm curious, like, what's going on? I mean, do you, obviously you analyze this, but you chased that hat trick on Friday with another hat trick on Sunday. That made you the first player in team history with back-to-back hat tricks. So when I say what's going on, like, what's going on? Are you in the zone? Are things slowing down for you? Is there really no rhyme or reason when you find the back of the net that often? What is going on here? I think it's just a lot, you know, a lot of confidence in shooting the puck. I mean, you know, when you feel it, you know, you're feeling it. You know, you start to start to take some more shots, some more opportunities, some more chances. And um, I wouldn't say be more selfish with a puck, but, you know, definitely uh, try and trying to shoot more. And uh, like I said, I was, just, you know, the puck's going in right now. And uh, for that second game too, just, um, just putting the puck on the net and, uh, just utilizing my shot more often. Jason Robertson's joining us. Let me to put this in perspective for our listeners. That performance over the weekend made you the first player in five years to have back-to-back hat tricks before turning 23. Other guys who have done that include Eric Lindros and Tamu Solani. I mean, pretty elite company to be keeping. How does it feel to hear your name mentioned alongside theirs? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's special. I mean, it's something that not a lot of people can say, but uh, you know, it is a personal accolade, but, you know, I don't want to be, I want to stay humble. And, and, you know, if you rewatch all those chances, I couldn't have done it without uh, my line mates and, you know, my sense of teammates being able to get the puck up to me, get to the net or whatnot. So um, it was definitely a, you know, a team accolade, even though it won't show it, but it's, uh, it is special to see uh, a, lot, a list of names that, uh, you know, right next to mine. Incredible names. Jason Robertson's joining us. For those who do not know, I love your background. You're a SoCal guy. But for those who do not know, how did you first get into hockey? And did you know immediately that that was going to be your game? Yeah, so I lived, when I lived in California, when I lived in Los Angeles, uh, my dad is a big uh, Kings fan, or my grandfather is a big Kings fan. So my dad got us all season tickets to watch the LA Kings play. And uh, eventually, you know, after watching all the hockey games, we had season tickets. Uh, he put us out there on the ice and we started to get, uh, you know, skating lessons and whatnot. And then 
uh, once we started to play games, you know, you realize, you know, you could have a step and, you know, you're a little bit, you're better than some, you know, some of the kids, you just keep getting better and better. And uh, it was fun for me and, and my brothers. So uh, we eventually just, you know, stuck with it. And uh, now I am here. All right. So let me ask you this, like your dad and your grandfather loved the game. So they understood it, but your mother Mercedes was born in the Philippines and she was a basketball fan. Now, Jason, we, we live in Orange County. So our kids kind of went through, or my older son went through the hockey stage. When you're a hockey parent, that's not the easiest parent. If your kids play that game, you know, there's a lot of travel. I can remember even trying to get the pads on the kid when he was young, how hard that was. It's not easy. Your mother said when she saw hockey and thought about it initially, quote, I'm just envisioning older men with their face smashed up with no teeth, end of quote. So what did your mom think when you started to take hockey seriously? Was she on board? Oh, I know, absolutely. I mean, my mom obviously is from the Filipino background, so uh, my, you know, my cousins and my grandma and my uh, aunts and uncles, they had no idea, but once they got behind it and saw, you know, that I'm doing something that's <laughs> that's pretty great, you know, they climbed completely on board and they loved it. And, um, you know, my mom, ever since, you know, I remember she's always been supportive of me, whether it be uh, playing hockey or, or doing anything else. So uh, I actually have lost my teeth a couple times. I'm actually the only one in the family to, to have fake teeth. So um, I got it fixed. So it's definitely, uh, uh, definitely she, she still has that permanent mark on me. But, um, no, she, she is a big supporter of mine. And um, made a lot of sacrifices. I think that's great. Jason Robertson joining us for a few more moments. So a few years back, a group of Filipino kids approached you in Toronto, and they said they look up to you. There are lots of other examples of that as well. What's it mean to you to be a role model in that regard, and how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, it's truly special. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to, to have that uh, privilege um, to being a person that people look up to. Uh, that's just something I try to model, try, try to model myself um, as you know, someone people could look up to, you know, having those good habits, um, being the hardest worker uh, on the ice, uh, off the ice, being a great, um, great teammate, and everything. And then, obviously, when when people look at me and they see and kids look at me and they see uh, some someone who looks like them, it's definitely inspiring uh, for them. So um, I just try to be the best pro that I can be on the ice and off the ice, trying to be the best pro too. Cause I, you know, people look up to me and I want to be an inspiration for them. Hmm. So let me ask you this in terms of hard work off the ice, before you started training this off season, your trainer sent you an article on Jerry Rice and it was titled masters of habit, the deliberate practice and training of Jerry Rice. What did you take from that article? And what was your mindset during those off season workouts? I mean, I just was all mental. I think, um, you know, everything was just a lot of physical, you know, the workouts and everything off physical, but, uh, you know, everything uh, that my trainer would talk about, uh, the JR mentality, uh, just just being mentally mentally strong and tough, right? Because uh, I know it's not, that, it's not easy to get up. You know, I'd be getting up at 5.30 in the morning, skating at 6.30, and then getting work at it and afterwards. You know, not a lot of people could do that. You know, it takes that extra mental toughness. And that's something that you just build along and take, take through this hot, through the season, too. So um, definitely it's uh, a great mindset that uh, – we try to incorporate to my training. So one last thought. You obviously are a young guy with a good head, and you're humble, and you're hardworking, and you're about all the right things. You told my guy Kevin Weeks recently that you do do a decent amount of chirping during games. What's your approach when it comes to that? Like, what are you saying, and who are you targeting? No, I'm not really targeting anyone. I'm just trying to, you know, be an influence out there on the bench, you know, trying to do something. Um, you know, I don't have a direct audience or direct you know, a player I'm going after, but um, I'm just trying to help my team win, whether it try to be safe from, from the bench, um, whether it does anything or not, it's just maybe just tries to get our team going, um, just trying to be a leader vocally. So just doing whatever I can to, to help us and uh, try to try to give us an extra advantage. So oh, I, I can't tell myself I'm a direct chirper or, or whatnot, but uh, certainly I'll say some stuff on the bench. I see you working. You're picking your guys up. He's a left wing for the Dallas Stars, and as I mentioned, putting up huge, huge numbers. They're right in the hunt. They're 32-21-3, and and they're hosting New York on Saturday. Jason Robertson, our guest. Jason, really nice to have you on. Thanks for that. Great conversation. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Mike Budenholzer is my guest. Mike, it is so good to have you back. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? Good, good. It's good to visit with you, Mike. Thanks so much. Let me ask you about the win last night in Atlanta. You beat them in a game where you had five guys, Mike, in double digits. Three had 23 or more. But when it comes down to that game, how pleased were you with the defensive stops that you got down the stretch? 
Yeah, no, there were several in a row uh, where, you know, different guys stepped up and made a play defensively. Bobby Portis coming and blocking a shot. and I, I don't know who got credit for the steal, but Bobby and Chris. And, you know, so just, yeah, good stuff down the stretch defensively, which is what we're trying to do. And um, it's important to winning close games. So, it was, yeah, it was a good finish. It was a great finish. Mike, you mentioned Bobby Portis, so let me ask you about him. He had 23-15 and 15 last night, and he had 18-14 and 14 the night before. I'm not sure that I've ever seen a guy, at least not that often, who is as beloved by a fan base as Portis is. What does he bring to the team, and how special has he been since he arrived? Yeah, he just brings great passion. It, he's, he's infectious. You know, the, his teammates love him. The coaches love him. The, the fans. It's just, it's like insane. This guy is, uh, it, it's hard to put into words, but I think you guys see it, you know, on TV and, and different places. It, people just go crazy for him. He feeds off of it. They feed off of him. It's, it's just a really, really good thing for us. And, you know, he's playing great ball. Mike Boonholzer is joining us. Mike Giannis again was doing Giannis things last night. Giannis does things like that every night. 43, 12, and 5. Bobby Portis, who had a huge game, said, quote, that ain't normal, bro. Chris Middleton said he can no longer put it into words. You know, you and I have talked about this so many times, but I've got to ask again, when you see Giannis do what he did last night, is there anything that he does at this point that surprises you, or is this just what you've come to expect from him on a nightly basis? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. We we have high expectations for him, and he usually delivers. Uh, but, you know, it, it's you got to be a little bit of a fan in you and, and there's nights and things when he goes and blocks a shot that's above the square. Or, you know, last night he hits a, a buzzer beater at the end of the second or third quarter that, you know, drops a three ball from like 20, uh, 35 feet. He just does it all. Uh, he's, he's incredible. And you know, I, I love the seat that I get to sit in to watch him play. You know, Mike, when he, when he does it all, I want to ask you for a moment how he does it. For instance, that was the second game of a back-to-back. He had 39 in the first game. That's 82 points in a matter of 24 hours. And there was a flight from OKC in between those games. Both you and Giannis were talking about the angles that he's taking on the floor these days. For those who do not know, what is the significance of good angles and the ones that he's taking? Yeah, you know, there's just he, he I think the reading the defense, reading where the where they are and then just, you know, attacking their hips, attacking their knees, attacking their feet, getting by them, getting to the basket and uh, you know, there it, it's it's not easy. A lot of a lot of guys are trying to take charges on them. A lot of guys are trying to come underneath them and uh, so, you know, he's just it's it's really about, you know, attacking their hips, attacking their shoulders, feet. Uh, you know, and, and just getting to the rim and finishing. And, you know, I think w- the angle from which he attacks through the 45, sometimes through the top, you know, whether it's in the post. So he's just he's, – he's in a good place. Um, you know, he's really scoring at a high level. He's shooting it at a high level. He's just doing a little bit of everything. I, I think that's such a great breakdown, the way you laid that out. And then when you look at the guy himself, Mike, I don't know if you saw the video of Giannis and AI at the top – 75 players get together, but he was gushing over AI and what Iverson meant to him. Then I think about those great pressers that he gave last year during the playoffs where he was so open and honest. Like I've said numerous times, it seems to me the league is so lucky to have a superstar like Giannis and the personality that he brings to it. Like how unique and special is that personality? And then what's he like to coach in that regard? Yeah, he he's great. It's you know, I think great. Like you said, I think he's great for the league. He's certainly great for for me. He's great for our team. You know, he's incredibly hardworking, incredibly competitive. But then he has personality. He he loves life. He enjoys life. He's honest. He'll be vulnerable. He'll laugh at himself. He, he's he's got humor. It's just he's this unique um, human person or human. You know, he's got these great people skills that I. I'm assuming the fans love, the league loves, we love. Um, yeah, he's just he's, he's really special. It's an amazing dude. Mike Budenhoser joining me for a few more moments. Mike, the team has won six straight, and you're two games out of first in the East. Seems to me a lot of teams win a championship, then maybe, maybe they get satisfied, maybe they lose their edge a little bit. You've dealt with what happens after winning a title because of your time with the Spurs. So now you have a team, and you've got your approach this year. What's it, what's it like generally to deal with the challenge of dealing with success? How do you approach that? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think we put a lot of time and effort into just what are we doing every day to get better. And that message, you know, it seems very simplistic and something we've lived by regardless of what we've done each year, regardless of what we did the night before, you know, win or lose, you know, championship or losing in, in the playoffs. And and luckily, you know, to, to reference Giannis again, Chris, like they believe in it. They, they're trying to get better every day as a team. We're trying to get better. And if you're doing that, you kind of handle that challenge of trying to repeat. You handle the challenge of trying to be successful again. And you just, we, we, we try to live by that. We try, you know, what are you doing each day to get better? And it, it takes away, you know, sometimes you're thinking about the wrong thing, your record, what are you going to do in the playoffs, so on, all that stuff. It, it's important, and that's the end goal. But we, we really just try and live in that day, and are we getting better? And, you know, if we're not, then you know, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. I like that, actually. That makes sense to me. Like, for instance, if you're doing what you're supposed to do or you're just focused on trying to get better every single day, the big things, in theory, should take care of themselves. Having said that then, I mean, I understand that you're just trying to get a little bit better every single day, but what about seeding? Seeding, for instance, does that matter to you? Is that something you're focused on or is just basically doing the little things every day and staying in rhythm more important than where you're actually seeded? Yeah, I mean, this is such a, a, a unique season. That, you know, normally I just say, yeah, I don't care. The seedings don't matter. And, and I mean that even though I'm saying it uh, kind of whatever offhandedly, but this this year, um, it's so tight in the East, it's, and there's so many good teams in the East that, you know, our team, we're, we're talking about it and looking at it a little bit, you know, if we're being honest and, you know, just sharing. Uh, it, it's it's different. I don't ever remember a, a year where there's this many teams. It's maybe spread out the last few days, four or five days, where there's some separation. But, man, coming out of All-Star break, I think there was like six teams within two games of first place. So as a team, you've got to look at it and be a little honest. And, you know, you don't, you don't want to be sixth or seventh or eighth. Uh, if you are, you got to find a way to get it done. But that's, that's not the ideal spot for sure. You know, I appreciate that response for sure. So what about Brooke Lopez? Having said what you just said, he's progressing in his rehab and recovery from back surgery. Can you share where is he in that process? And then what would his return mean for the team, especially given how fierce things are in the East? Yeah, he's doing incredibly well. Uh, he's he's been scrimmaging, playing five on five, multiple times over the last you know five to ten days, which is you know really the most important and biggest step to returning. And so you know we're hopeful sometime in the very near future that you know he'll play you know in a real game, an NBA game. We're not going to rush him. We'll make sure everything's good. You know, just from a basketball perspective, the you know the mental side of it, being ready to play an NBA game and and the the, the the health side. So, but he's, I will just say he's very, very close. And what he brings to us, you know, he, he's incredible, but, you know, two-way player defensively has a huge impact in, in the pain, in the rim. He has a huge impact on our defensive rebounding, our communication, the connection he and our point guards, you know, now it's Drew. They just, they, they talk and there's so many pick and rolls and he's just, he's just great in pick and roll coverage. And then offensively spreads the court for us, but, then he can also go in the post and score and work the offensive glass. He can play a little bit of the lob game, give us some vertical spacing. Uh, you know, he's just a very special player. He's a big part of who we are. Mm. So, Mike, let me ask you really quickly about Greg Popovich. He tied Don Nelson's record for career wins on Monday. He's got a chance to break that tomorrow night. As somebody who worked with him and coached with him, what's it mean to you personally to see him reach that milestone? Yeah, it's just, I mean, a testament to, you know, his the discipline, the the attention to detail, the success over a long, long, long time. And there's some things in life that are very simple but that are hard to do, and he's just mastered them. Um, you know, so anybody that was fortunate enough to be around him, you know, whether it's a coach, a player, anywhere in the organization, you felt his, you know, his, his greatness, I guess, probably. And when he gets this record, I guess it's a tangible, you know, confirmation of what an amazing coach uh, he has been and I always will be. He's probably the greatest of all time in, in, in my mind, our minds. And so, yeah, it'll be a special night for him to get that. Hey Mike, one quick follow-up. When you say that, and I, I think this is really interesting what you just said, that there are things in life that are really simple but hard to do. As an example, like what? What do you mean? Be on time. Right. <laughs> you know? It's like, By the way, dude, that, that don't even get me started on that with my family. I don't understand that at all. Why is that so hard for some people? 
<laughs> you know, and, he, and the great part is he'll he leave Tim Duncan to bust the lead. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're the assistant athletic trainer, you're Tim Duncan, you're late, you're, you're left. And, you know, it's amazing how people all of a sudden show up on time. Um, so it's, it's, but you know, you treat everybody the same and, uh, you know, it's another kind of simplistic, but, but then he's also got the nuance of knowing the difference between, you know, how, how some people tick and treating them and connecting with them. And yeah, he's, he's got, he's got it all figured out. He's, he's doing okay. He's, he's had a pretty good career. He is doing okay. He's had a pretty good career and be on time. I like that. Mike, appreciate it very much. <laughs> Always good to have you on the show. I appreciate the relationship and thanks so much for doing that. All right, Jeff. Take care. Have a good day. Good night now!